2: Let's begin. Welcome back to another episode of Carpooling with the RV. On today's episode, we'll be discussing the topic of the future of inclusion. I am delighted to introduce you to our two guests. We have Shelley Kennel, who has been on the RV before. She's the author of Those Who Can Teach. And also, we have Fran Smith, who is a mom, a caregiver, and an advocate for inclusion. So, Fran and Shelley, Welcome to coupling with the RV.
3: Thank you. Happy to be back with you.
1: So how did you two meet? We met at a therapeutic writing center in our area that uh, works with children and adults and veterans. Um, It's a program that I helped start and then Shelly came alongside and that's how we met.
2: For how long have you been knowing each other? About 12 to 13
3: years. Wow, it's a lot. Yeah, we lost contact with each other. Well, I, I shouldn't say we lost contact with it. We weren't as closely connected for a while, um, but we kept up with each other on Facebook. And then in, a, in the last uh, couple of years, we've connected much more closely again. And now we have our, our own show that we do weekly. And um, we're just, you know, it, it's amazing how much alike we are in some things, and in some ways, we kind of feed off of each other, Um, but we both have the same core beliefs, I think, and that's where the attraction comes in for our show and to have our friendship. Mm -hmm. That's
2: beautiful, and Shelly, your career is dedicated to helping children with disabilities. Can you explain to our listeners what your job entails?
3: Yes, thank you, absolutely. So I originally started out um, as a teacher's aide or a paraprofessional, and then um, went ahead and got my full-time teaching certification and became a full-time teacher and did that for quite a few years. And my most recent endeavor has been having my own business where I work with families, but also school districts to make the world better for all one IEP at a time. And an IEP is the Individualized Education Program. That is the document that drives special education. And also became an author a few years ago, have a separate show from the Friday with Fran that we will talk about today called Hashtag No Limits, on which I interview people that society has placed limits upon, but they have busted through those limits. And it's just more ways to expose people to those who learn differently from them in order for all of us to be more inclusive and make a better world. Absolutely. And
1: Fran, why did you decide to collaborate with Shelly? I'm laughing because previously uh, Shelly actually answered much as I was going to answer that we both have the same desire, but a different perspective of advocating for those with different and unique abilities.
2: You both work on online video program called Friday with Fran. Mm -hmm. Can you quickly tell us what this program is
1: about? It's about sharing our life experiences to help others reach their fullest potential.
2: And you share your stories. Fran, would you mind sharing? I don't
1: mind at all. Um, I have um, two, two kiddos who happen to have unique needs of their own. My son has Down syndrome and a few other things. And my daughter is on the autism spectrum with a few other things and then or I have worked with developmentally disabled adults in a large group setting in a group home and then I did home care and then four years ago I had a stroke and I became differently abled as well so not only do I are the Friday with Fran do we share Uh, the experiences of raising my kiddos and Shelly's experiences as a special education teacher and now IEP consultant. Not only do we share those experiences, I'm able to share my own life experiences living life on the other side.
2: And that's why I believe you started this beautiful project.
3: And Lucia, as you, your listeners won't understand because they're not seeing this in video format, but as Fran was describing and she would put up numbers, she would put up her hands to, when she had her stroke, it affected part of her brain that deals with numbers. And so she's able to, she's come up with kind of her own language in a sense of how to tell time, how to do things with numbers. And then like for that if you caught on that I would throw the, she would hold up two fingers and I would say two, or she held up four fingers and I would say four because she can do it that way and express herself. But the, the functionality in the brain with the mouth and the numbers doesn't quite mesh like it used to, which unfortunately for Fran is weird because, well, I mean, it would be weird for anybody, but numbers and math were her big thing before. <laughs>
1: I, I actually did math puzzles and uh, number. I did Kikuro, not just Sudoku because I enjoyed it, but uh-huh. it's okay. Um, God's been able to use this, this difference, this new, new experience in life so that I was free to do many other things. Otherwise I would have been working three, um, three, three jobs throughout this and wouldn't have uh, been able to do Friday with friends.
2: And Shelly, this is for you. What
1: is the biggest
2: misconception about inclusion?
3: Proximity equals inclusion. So by that, I mean, just by putting someone in a space where other people are there, that that's including them. And that's, that's not inclusion at all. Um, Because if that was the case, you could say that we're all included all the time and we're not. One of the the biggest things with inclusion is there's so many little steps that can be considered including somebody, Um, but just placing them proximally to other people who are not disabled in any obvious way is not including them. How you
1: said that? Because that's not what I would have said.
3: So please, this is your turn now.
1: No, I, I like. I just summed that up, and the biggest misconception is it's hard, it takes time, and it's inconvenient. Do you want to comment?
3: Uh, no, I agree with her. Um, that that would be another misnomer as well. Inclusion to me.
2: Um has always been about creating a safe space for everyone to feel at home. I'm interested to know from each of your perspectives, what does inclusion
3: look like to you? And I'm going to have you go first.
1: I was trying to be very succinct in my answers. So treating everyone the same, not special, but the same.
3: Beautiful. And Shelley? Um... (laughs) So yes, I agree with Fran, but more than that, it's giving the person what they need to be included in an environment. So from my perspective, I'm thinking of a classroom environment where, you know, Fran has the parent perspective and now she has her own personal experience. From a classroom perspective, if you have a child that is usually out of your classroom, and they're mostly in with other special education students and and rarely in the general education classroom. Something that will help them feel that they are part of your classroom, that's a really simple thing to do, is to just have a desk with their name on it. Having a desk amongst all the other desks and then having that name on it says to that child, no matter when they walk into your room, they're part of that family. They're part of that atmosphere. You have thought about them before they ever walked into your classroom, just like you thought about all the other students before they ever walked into your classroom. Because especially under probably fifth grade in most schools, and and possibly younger in, in a lot of schools, they do still place names on desks. They do still have assigned seats. and the teachers before school are getting those name placards ready for those desks. They're putting their their desks or their tables, wherever the children sit, you know, in a particular order. They're organizing the materials for the students because a lot of schools will, you know, have certain books once the child registers that they get for their registration fees. Or, um, you know, the teachers a lot of times, again, mostly thinking primary, but this does happen in the upper grades a little bit. Having something ahead of time, you know, whether it's a a little pencil or a, a welcome to my class notebook, I mean, a place card or a bookmark, you know, something that the teachers will give to all the students in their class. If you're doing that, you're thinking about the classroom environment. A classroom becomes a family because you spend so much time with those people every day all throughout the school year. Now, in any family, you don't like every member of your family. There are some members that you would prefer you don't have to see. There are other members who you can't wait to see. And that's basically what a classroom becomes. And so from a teaching perspective, doing simple things like having a special space within the classroom for them, including them when you have classroom parties, including them when there are assemblies, or special plays or projects that your whole class is doing. There are lots of little easy ways for students to be included. And that's just for the ones who aren't in the general ed classroom all day long or for the most part. When it's someone who is in the classroom more, then there's even more little things that can be done. So I'm gonna pause and I'm gonna let Fran talk so I can take a break <laughs> and have her talk about her perspective of inclusion.
1: Um, well, actually I was gonna share a, a perspective from my personal experiences of lack of inclusion. My perspective uh, for me when I, I look the same to, or I feel the same to myself, but from the outside looking in, Apparently, I don't look the same to the world because I either am in a wheelchair or I use a walker and I wear this many braces. So people, I I don't understand all the time why people won't let me do something or they don't trust me to do something. And I had a friend the other day explain to me, they said, Fran, they don't realize what you're capable of, all they do is they see the outside. And it really made me um, come to grasp the understanding to a different degree and level of don't judge a book by its cover.
2: Yes, Fran, there are many misconceptions about
1: disabilities. And when I was
2: working with children with neurological issues and saw many examples of it, And that's why I think it's so important for neurotypical children to become more understanding and build more meaningful connections with every type of person, regardless of the difference. So, Shelley, what would be your advice to parents of neurotypical children to raise their children to be more inclusive?
3: Some of the things that schools can do, um, as well as those individual parents, is to just provide opportunities. So um, one of the systems that I developed in my school and I had a superintendent tell me it was the best program the school ever had. And it was called the Buddy Program. And I made opportunity every day for the kids in the gen ed programs to come and work for, and it, and it wasn't work, it was play, um, to play with the students in the special education program. And we did, all, I had over 70 activities and we rotated through those activities. When I first started the program, I had five students that were with me pretty much all of their school day. And I reached out, a couple of them had siblings in older grades. So I reached out to their siblings and some of their siblings friends and asked if they would be willing to come in and spend this time with the students and they were absolutely on board. So at the beginning of this, I had very minor participation because nobody quite knew what it was going to be about and there was a lot of fear associated with being around the students that were my students because people didn't have knowledge of them very much. By the time the program finished, six years later, and I say finished because I left that school district and I I don't think it continued after I left, there was a 95 to 98% participation rate in the sixth, seventh, and eighth grade classes, which were the grades that I would ask for a volunteer, coming in every day and working, playing again with the students. And it, it was such a beautiful program because not only were they spending that time, but it was so beautiful because I had students who were verbal. I had students who were nonverbal. I had students who were very cognitively delayed and students who were only minimally delayed. I had students who had Down syndrome, uh, cerebral palsy, Angelman syndrome, specific learning disabilities, all kinds of, of different disabilities. And the change from the gen ed population of kind of hands off. And like I said, you know, just not really knowing how to interact from the beginning of the school year to the end of each school year was absolutely amazing and thrilling to be part of and to watch and to facilitate. And I would have some kids that would volunteer to come in and I would ask them kind of in their questionnaire of, okay, you know, you've seen my kids around the building Um, You know, if there's one of them that you don't think you will be comfortable working with, um, let me know that because I didn't want to put them in an uncomfortable position to start with. And oftentimes there was one student because he had a lot more complex needs that students were afraid to work with, but they would come in and they would work with another student. And usually after that first time of being in the room and seeing everybody working and playing with everybody else. I would often have those those kids who had told me, I'm not so sure, they come up and say, yes, please, I'm happy to work with anybody in this classroom. And I've had students from the Gen Ed population since then tell me that they're going into physical therapy or occupational therapy or going into special education because of their experiences in my classroom. I called it the buddy program. It was really super easy. If anybody is interested, I'm happy to give more information about how I did that. But what you said earlier about the neurotypical kids, we spend so much time teaching our kids in special education, how to adapt to the general population, but we rarely ever spend time teaching our general population how to interact with our special education population. And we need to do both. We need to give more and more opportunities, such as you know having them watch Friday with Fran or hashtag no limits. That's our hope is through both of those programs, people's perspectives will change. Now, obviously, or at least for me, I'm not anticipating a bunch of younger people watching this. I'm expecting adults to watch this. But what the adults can then do is directly teach your children, your students, if you don't have children of your own and you're in the education system, that people who are different are not bad or wrong or contagious or whatever it is that might have a person be hesitant about reaching out to someone who's in the special education program or who has special needs in whatever ways those are. And, you know, a lot of it does have, does come down to the parent talking with their child. You can give examples, you can live examples, you can model, but unless you're specifically directly teaching, you might not always get the point across as well I'm not laughing at you.
1: I'm laughing because it's so true. It, it's I've walked it. I've walked it with my kiddos. I've walked it with others. Um, and and I it ties into what I was I was thinking was it's okay not to know about someone's unique special needs. Ask questions. It's okay to ask questions. We are so, as a society, afraid to ask a question if we're unsure or um, confused about something. But I encourage people, if I see um, a child, like my wheelchair is really cool. The front wheels light up and kids love it. And I like it too, except when it's a really dark place. And you're trying not to draw attention to yourself, and your wheels are lighting up. Yeah. And it's a little, uh, yeah, embarrassing. But so I see kids, little kids, they get all excited about the wheels. So I'll stop and I'll do a, I'll, I'll spin around in my wheelchair so that the lights really light up for them. And I'll say, It's okay. It's, don't you like that my wheels? These are how I get around. So rather than make it something to be fearful, I just give them opportunity to see that it's just, they're just how I ambulate. They're my legs for now. And it's not something to be afraid of. And so that's what I always encourage. And and that's what I tell the parents. It's okay for them to ask questions. Do you mind if they come up and push my wheelchair? Do, they, do you mind um, if they sit on my lap and I'll give them a spin? It, you know, I don't say that to everybody if I don't have time. But if I see someone questioning, I would rather Give them the answer, then have them walk away, or have a parent go. Shh, don't look at them. Don't don't don't, don't stare. Mm-hmm. No stare. Ask. Don't be don't be afraid. Where it's not something to be in, of which to be afraid.
2: Yes, you said what I want to say. And Fran, continuing with you, I understand the benefit of inclusion for students with disabilities, but how do neurotypical children benefit from this inclusion?
1: I believe neurotypical students, neurotypical individuals, whether they're children or adults, benefit from occlusion is realizing that their unique needs are okay as well. Because so often as a society, we try to fit a mold. Even even those that are neurotypical are trying to fit into this mold that is just so. And when you experience inclusion of individuals who definitely don't fit that mold, you realize it's okay to be unique. It's okay to be an individual. You don't have to fit that mold. And it is actually, I believe, freeing to when you come to that realization. And so often inclusion is what opens that door, and I think breaks chains from people that are tied to trying to fit the mold that is impossible to fit.
0: Yeah,
2: exactly. It was very well said, Fran. And I very much admire the work that you both do, as this is a huge passion of mine. What has been the most rewarding part for each of you doing this collaboration, Sally.
3: Well, connecting with Fran every week, honestly, because a lot of times we don't have viewers that are live with us. So um, it's a lot of interaction between Fran and I and her animals and my animal. And, um, you know, we, it, it's been very good for me to have her perspective because oftentimes As I said earlier, my perspective is from the classroom. And while I think of, when I think of people with disabilities, because of my experiences, my brain automatically goes to children. But she helps remind me that, and I know this, but it's a reminder that that disability continues on after high school into adulthood and helping me see even a different perspective and and breaking my own limits that I've set in my head. So being with her every week and having those experiences and praying with her every week about different things and for our show and for the people who watch our show is just probably the best blessing I've had.
1: And you, Sam, Realizing that it's okay not to be okay. Coming... Because there are some of our shows, when we come, one or the other of us is not okay when we start it. And sometimes we're not okay in the middle of it. And sometimes we're not okay in the end of it. and um, But it's okay. It's okay to be real. And I think that has been one of the biggest things for me is to realize it's okay to be me, just me. Not, not what I feel others put on me or what I put on myself, but who I am in the moment. And by sharing that, I, I really feel or hope my desire is Fridays with Fran is taking a toolbox. We all have a toolbox in life. And I'm hoping that we're giving tools that will help people um, navigate life in a positive, helpful, unique, and inclusive way.
2: You made me cry, friend. It's you It's really good with words. She <laughs> is, yeah. What is the message you would like to leave for our listeners who are having, you know, the same situation and don't know how what to say, what to
1: do? I would just love to share that it's a journey and it's not a sprint. It's a marathon and it's for life. For some parents, you will have your children from the time they're born to either the time they pass or the time you pass. And in that journey, you're constantly learning and growing and you don't know it all. You don't have a full toolbox. So it's okay to ask for help. It's okay not to know. It's okay to have a bad day. It's okay to celebrate just the minor things, because those minor things are huge. And it's okay to ask for help.
2: Thank you. and Sally, do you want to share any messages with our listeners?
3: Remembering that every person is an individual and treating each person in the way that they deserve to be treated. If a person is different than you, don't assume that that person's differences are actually fitting into a stereotype or into a generalization. Individually, we can make the world better. We we can't hit the masses all at once. It has to be done one person at a time. It has to be done individual to individual. No matter the age, no matter the difference, we can do better. And I really am hoping that in 10 years from now, Fran and I will look back at our original Friday with Franz and go, wow, can you believe that's what we were talking about? It's so much better now than it used to be. Thank you. Thank
1: you so much, Shelly, for your participation. This is precious. Can I share a funny? Yes it, yes, it doesn't have to be included. But I was laughing when she was talking about the, you know, fitting in the stereotypical, because I'm sure I don't know if you've heard this saying, but so often people go, Oh, people with Down syndrome are so loving. They are individuals and I want to tell them, yeah, they're really loving as, the, as I'm ducking a flashlight being thrown at my head. You know, it's like, I'm not sure what world you're in, but welcome. Come see my world. That's what I want to tell people when they say that. So instead I say they're just as loving as anybody else is what I try to, what I tell people. Absolutely. They have their
2: good days and bad days just like anyone else. So Fran and Shelley, thank you very much for your participation.
3: Thank you.